For the week of November 10th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, back with a bonus midweek emergency episode to cover the premiere of The Mandalorian. That's right, Disney Plus has been released and The Mandalorian has finally dropped and we're going to break it all down. But first, John has some updates with our new schedule and some website items. Yes, so we really wanted to make sure we had our act together in time for The Mandalorian to drop. It has dropped. We are... uh hitting the ground running with our coverage. So we're doing the show tonight to cover the premiere, obviously, but we are going to be back on Sunday with an episode covering the second episode of the Mandalorian and probably a little bit of resistance talk in there too, because there's a new episode of resistance that uh, I believe episode 206 that we're going to need to cover as well. Um, So we're going to have a new schedule for the show. Now that we know that the Mandalorian is always going to drop on Fridays, we're going to watch it Friday probably rewatch it Saturday, record Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'm going to edit the podcast and get everything prepped and we're going to have it posted on Sunday. That way uh, people will have it for their Monday morning commute. We figure that's probably the best schedule to make sure that everyone gets the show while it's still fresh in their mind and everyone's still thinking about the, uh, the past Friday's episode. So that's what we're shooting for, for the rest of the season around Christmas time. We may have to mix things up a bit since there will be holiday hiatuses to take into consideration and also a movie. Uh, something's come down the pipe. I can't really remember what it is, but there's, there's a few other things that might mess with the schedule a bit, but for the most part, that's what people should expect. Watch the show Friday, get the cast Sunday, enjoy it. Then we'll be back again next week. Yeah, we are super excited. I've already watched this episode about uh, three times now. Oh, you're one um, up on me. I've only watched it twice, <laughs> but they were two very enjoyable watches. Without without spoiling, uh, you know, our review here, uh, I gotta say, this is a, a very promising looking show. There is so much that goes on just in this. I think it was. Uh, I think I clocked it at 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna get right into this and we're going to spoil it. It's gonna be a spoil conversation. We're not hiding anything. So if you have not watched <laughs> episode one of The Mandalorian, you need to, you know, go ahead and just put this podcast on pause, go watch it, and then tune back in. Because I'm telling you, there is a stinger at the end of this one, <laughs> and we're gonna talk all about it. Very good. Yeah. As a general rule for the audience from here on out, if you're tuning into the show, expect that we are going to talk about the episode at hand. Uh, and we're not breaking the show up into like, here's our spoiler free discussion. And then we'll talk spoilers at the end. No, we're just, we're talking the show. If you haven't seen it, you do not want to be listening to it. Pause, go watch it, come back. We'll still be here. So spoiler warning. (laughs) I have spoken. Yeah. I think we drove that into the ground. Want to talk a little Mandalorian? Yeah, so let's go ahead and get into the initial (laughs) thoughts here. So first thing, this show, I mean, it starts off just hitting the ground. It's running. It's action-packed right from the get-go. Right. So the genre, I mean, I think we expected it was going to have that Western feel to it. Oh yeah, no, they, they made no secret about it. It's, it's been telegraphing it, you know, since the first, uh, footage dropped at D23. So, uh, yeah, we, we knew what we were in for. This is very much a space Western. Absolutely. And I'm actually, uh, a little more surprised at how like spot on this is with kind of classic Western movies. I mean, the guy walks into a bar, everyone stops and looks over what he's doing. Someone even spills their drink sure. in this. Like it, it was just totally classic Western. The, the main guy comes in and 
automatically has a conflict with with some people in the cantina. Mm-hmm. So it was just amazing just to see how how really spot on of a Western this was. And I'm curious to see what else we're going to get from here. Because, I mean, it was a Western from, you know, we got some deserts in there. We got some... Uh, quote unquote horseback riding. Yeah, we got some, some so much blurg whispering in there. Yeah. Uh no, they were laying it on really thick. I have a feeling that they intentionally went heavy on it for the premiere because you're setting the tone for the whole series. You really want to telegraph what this is all about and you know, just really what you're drawing on. You want to give people all the little um cues, all the little indications of how they should be receiving this show. They got all that out of the way from here on out. It can evolve and do whatever it wants. It'll probably still, you know, heavily draw on Western themes, but I don't think that they're going to do sort of like a beat for beat retelling of, you know, like a man with no name, kind of a spaghetti Western story, sort of like this one was this, you, you could take each set piece in this and you could find, (laughs) you know, a Western that, was like a hundred percent in line with, with what they're, they're depicting. So yeah, this was probably the most Western-y of the episodes we're going to get. Um, but I think they used it to good effect. I mean, you want to find some sort of a tone, you, you want some sort of a style you can draw on to make your show feel cohesive and they got right. it. You know, this isn't a, a big fusion. Well, it is cause it's, you know, space opera blended with Western, but, um, because they figured out what they wanted it to be so early, uh, there's no confusion on the audience's part. Like I wasn't in any way, uh, disoriented by what I was seeing. They weren't like flipping back and forth between the, the Western sensibility and then some other genre. And because right. of that, I, I think, I think you just get very comfortable with it quick and that was working in its favor. Yeah. And I mean, the, the tone was great. And then the score with it was, you know, it really sets the tone for you and what we're going. It kind of gave me some game of Thrones esque type of uh score there. Um, that was just kind of what I picked up on. I'm watching it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this, this feels very much like that. And the okay. tone is similar, a little, you know, less gore and everything for that game of Thrones brings to the table, but it was, uh, Okay. it's in the same family i would say sure i can't speak to the game of thrones thing i i don't watch game of thrones but i was picking up on some intentional callbacks to mm-hmm. western type of scores like the the the, the little like mm-hmm. they didn't actually use that but they had similar uh sort of quizzical sounds that kind of jumped out of the the score there uh when you needed to punctuate a scene so they had those type of beats in it but they also were they were fusing in a lot of different stuff. It, it was almost like Western techno, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. they didn't stray away from like electronic guitar or, you know, some other synthetic sounds. So, y- you know, you are getting a, a collision with a true Western score and something that may be a little bit more sci-fi-ish. And I was also hearing like sort of a seventies anti-hero cop drama kind of thing in there at mm-hmm. points. Like there, there was something very seventies and I'm, I'm having trouble putting my finger on it, but uh, yeah, the composer was pulling from a lot of different stuff and uh, I think it works like on my first watch, I didn't think about the score at all. So there was nothing that like stood out and said, Oh, that's just like the wrong music cue for this type of a show. I didn't get any of that. So I'll call it a win. But on second watch, I was just, trying to get in the head of the composer and and figure out why they made the choices they made. The only conclusion I can reach is they must've got the direction from, you know, Favreau, Filoni, whoever, you know, as they're crafting the, the feel of the show, he must've got the, the direction to intentionally carve a new path. Like they probably said, this doesn't have to be a new hope 
You know, this doesn't have to sound like everything that's come before. You're not trying to be John Williams. We're trying to do something fresh. And we kind of want to say that with the music. And so I think if you take it on those terms that you're not going to get the nostalgia of a true like Star Wars score out of it, uh, it works. It works really well. And it tells you, look, it's okay. Star Wars can jump into other genres and feel a little different. And it's still going to be a fun ride. Yeah, it was totally fun. And the best way I could describe it is it, it felt to me as if I lived in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> yeah. and I and there were Western movies that I was consuming. This would be what it sure. sounded like. Yep, Space Western. They, they, they definitely captured it. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about here was we got some references to that holiday special. <laughs> yes. Yes. Life Day is now canon, right? That's, that's right, the big yes, takeaway here. It, it, it's completely canon. There's no disputing it whatsoever. And for our listeners that may not know, we have uh, the introduction of the character of Boba Fett was from the holiday special. So it seems like it makes sense to add certain aspects. I mean, we've already talked about the his uh, his rifle mm-hmm. that is straight from the holiday special. But also we have his first bounty he's collecting mentioned something about, you know, I'm trying to get prepared for life day. Right. But the other thing I picked up on was when uh, the Mandalorian shocked that big ice creature from below. We get um, in the holiday special, the cartoon where Boba Fett's introduced, where he does something very similar sure. to a giant creature. So I just thought that those things were were interesting callbacks there. Yeah, I don't think that was lost on anyone. Uh, we knew what they were drawing from. If they If they decided to recreate the rifle that as far as I know, was really only featured in the holiday mm-hmm. special. I, I don't think we've seen that elsewhere. Um, you know, probably that. in Canon somewhere in a book or something, but I don't think we've seen it on screen. So they obviously said, okay, let's just get every bit of Mandalorian media that Lucasfilm has ever produced and let's, you know, start mining it. Uh, so obviously, you know, they watched that animated section of the holiday special a few times mm-hmm. over when they were developing the show. Uh, yeah. And obviously, you know, took what works and uh, it did work. It, it, it's a, Star Wars isn't Star Wars without some sort of a, you know, big, scary monster sneaking up on you at some point. And uh, we get that right out of the gate. Felt very Star Warsy. Said a lot about the production values of the show, too. You know, they're not going to shy away from big, glorious monsters, full frame eating your ship. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to get some of that here. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, this was this was a fun way to kick things off. And Life Day is canon. I, that's obviously, yeah. the, you know, the full takeaway we can end the cast right now. That was really the only thing I needed to see for this show to be a win. <laughs> Yeah, and now I'm just waiting for Itchy to come into the next episode. Yeah, Yeah, Lumpy's hollow porn. Yeah, well, speaking (laughs) of uh, Lumpy and other characters, let's go ahead and talk about some of the characters we got on Tuesday night. Sure. So first, the Mandalorian. We... This has been so interesting because for the past, what, year and a half, two years that they've announced that they were making this specific show, we have known nothing really other than he's a Mandalorian Mm -hmm. um, about this character. And we got uh, some more looks into him, but he's still remaining a bit of a mystery. Yes. He does not take off his mask. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Pedro Pascal, of course does his uh, amazing work just with his voice. Um, If I didn't know that he was playing the Mandalorian, I would not have been able to pick his voice out because he completely changed his voice. In my opinion, there were some instances where I heard like, okay, I could hear his voice there. But other than that, if I were just watching this, had no idea who he was, I would have gone completely over my head. Yeah, I only know him really from Narcos. So, you know, I've seen him with uh, like a Colombian accent or a Spanish accent of, of some persuasion. Uh, so, yeah, this was fresh for me, but it's nice because you can get more lost in the character. If you're not thinking about the actor, you're thinking about the character. And that's right. you know, obviously what they want at this point. 
Uh, and then the other thing that we found out, so basically he's he has some sort of, uh, he has some flashbacks going on, maybe, I wouldn't call it PTSD at this point, but they're kind of triggered and we get to see into his past and I'm assuming this is how we're going to get more about this character and mm-hmm. about his background. Uh, so we've seen that his childhood was troubled a bit. Um, a little bit. <laughs> he saw some things. And so based off the trailer, I'm assuming that that's where we're going to see um, the attack of those separatist droids come into play is from his childhood because it was the same uh, same look, same feel, and I believe the same child that we saw from the trailer. Right. But we also learned something very interesting about a suit. So he's using his, his payment to basically add, make additions to a suit, yeah. uh, which I'm assuming is the same type of metal that his helmet is made out of. Yeah, this true Mandalorian or, you know, whatever they called it. Um, apparently what he has now is just, you know, trash, basically. He, he built his armor to get the job done. Mm-hmm. But as he's, you know, uh, building a, a little bit of a stockpile of this, this metal, he's immediately going to the blacksmith and parlaying it into true Mandalorian armor. So what this tells us right out of the gate is he doesn't come by his Mandalorian warrior status uh, through lineage or family. It's not like anyone handed down, you know, the family mm-hmm. armor to him. The The blacksmith even says like, you know, your signet, you know, has that been revealed right. yet or whatever? He says that he's a foundling. So we get a sense that uh, this is a lost person. Like this is a person that really doesn't truly understand their own identity. And you get a sense throughout the episode that there's a little bit of insecurity there. Like anytime mm-hmm. someone tells him, you know, you're not really shaping up as a Mandalorian, you know, you can't even ride a blurg. He immediately, you know, like he steals himself around that, you you know, he's got something to prove. So you question whether he truly feels Mandalorian, like, is he really connected to his culture and his people and, you know, his, his clan, the way that, uh, maybe a true Mandalorian is. So we get a, a lot in this notion of him having to build his own armor, build his own identity, uh, validate himself as a Mandalorian. There's, there's all sorts of stuff brewing here. And that's, I think why they, they felt that they wanted to intersperse those flashbacks of his childhood mm-hmm. so that you understand, yeah, there's something psychological going on, you know, with this character. It's not, not just a, a straightforward sort of character. Um, he's got something to prove. He, he, he's got a, a journey of self-discovery ahead of him as much as, you know, just whiz bang action. Yeah, and I would I would definitely say he's the outcast cowboy of this of the series and and for the center, it, especially when he's walking into the kind of the underworld uh, station for the the guild. So mm-hmm. the guild of of Mandalorian bounty hunters that, that's chilling in this underground. You see them interacting with each other, but they never interact with him. The only one that he really interacts with is the blacksmith because you see a couple of them, mm. you know, playing some sort of game. You see yeah. others kind of huddled in different spots of this kind of this underworld area. But he doesn't he doesn't wave, doesn't mm. say hi, doesn't doesn't do anything, just walks right past them. And they basically act like he doesn't exist as well. So I'm assuming that that we're going to find a little more to that story that you were just saying that he is this outcast. Yeah. Uh, building his own name. That's a good takeaway. I wasn't really thinking of that in those terms. I just thought he needed a really efficient way to get to the blacksmith. So everyone else was just sort of, you know, background Mm -hmm. dressing. Uh, But you're right. He very much is the man with no name, right? He walks into town alone. He leaves town alone. So you get that sense a few times over. Um, Yeah, we got a lot more to learn about this guy. Yeah, and we have some uh, to learn about the guild. So there's a Bounty Hunters Guild, which was, you know, we kind of 
we always knew that this had existed and we've seen mm-hmm. aspects of it, but we've never really seen the process in which they take payments or how they interact with one another. Right. And so Carl Weathers kind of plays this this leader of the guild where he he has this this clan of bounty hunters that he's practically employing and he's giving them that he's basically distributing the bounties to them for them to go and get. Mm-hmm. And we've also found that that he is holding our Mandalorian back a little bit in the sense of, hmm. okay, I see that you're that you're really excited to collect all these bounties, but I this is all I got and I gotta distribute it evenly, otherwise people are gonna lose their minds. Um right. So it was there anything else that stuck out to you just about the underworld or about the bounty hunters guild? Um not a whole lot. Like that felt pretty straightforward. You know, this is the commission scene. He's a facilitator. Um I understand the characters I'm seeing. I understand that this is necessary exposition to get us into our adventure. Um, so yeah, I wasn't reading too much into it, but they presented everything really competently, right? Like they are able to tell you a whole lot about how the guild works, that there is some sort of code of honor. You know, we learn a little bit from IG eight, <laughs> IG 11, uh, mm-hmm. later, you know, that there's rules, right? It's, it's almost mm-hmm. like a finder's keeper thing. And there's, you get experience points and there's all sorts of stuff that goes along with being in the guild. Um, so, you know, we get a sense that, yeah, there is an honor code and they're all bound to it. And, uh, this facilitator, you know, the Mandalorian's not the only thing he's thinking about, you know, he's, he's trying to, uh, juggle a whole lot of <laughs> miscreants. Um, so yeah, a lot going on there. And also you learn that, uh, he can, he can play his cards pretty close to the vest. You know, sometimes he has, uh, a sketchier job that maybe he has to save for just the right bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Mandalorian hadn't up to this point quite proven that he was ready to take on, uh, these, uh, slightly, um, less noble, <laughs> yes. you know, bounties. Uh, so yeah, we, we get a little bit of growth there too, that this is maybe, um, the Mandalorian stepping into a new role as sort of, um, one of the facilitators, um, sort of like more top tier bounty mm-hmm. hunters, you know, he's, he's given them the meaty stuff that could go South that you need to really be able to handle yourself if you're going to jump into this kind of a job. Uh, so that's cool. It's, it's all there. This was a, a very efficient and well-written episode. They, they tell you a whole lot about the world with very little dialogue and only yeah, 37 minutes. <laughs> and I think mm. that includes the credits too. So this was yeah. incredibly efficient. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we get the whole picture. We know exactly who the players are at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. I love it. I, I think they really did some great world building here. And so the Mandalorian gets a job and he, he doesn't know anything about this client. Right. So he gets word of this client and he's like, yeah, sure. I'll take the job. And so he walks in and Sure enough, it's whatever is left of the empire, what a portion of whatever is left of the empire sitting in there. And the client, we don't get much info on this client other than they have a bounty and they want this bounty and they want it bad. <laughs> yeah, they're willing to pay and they're willing to pay for it. And it, to the point where they hire, you know, a, a Mandalorian and yeah. Is it time to get into some speculation here? Yeah, lay it on me. What, what, what are you thinking is going on with this guy with the Imperial signet around his neck? 
Oh my goodness. So we get immediately this client, you don't get anything other than it's this client, this target, it's 50 years old. So you're looking for a 50 year old target, which is deceiving a little bit. Like, do you want to give him a little more information? Like, how hard is it to remove the trace that the bounties have on you? If you said you're looking for a green baby, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if uh, the Mando would have taken the job. So yeah, uh, a nice little bit of misdirection there for us. Yeah, so we get the the 50 years old. He shows so the Mando shows up to the place called the Enchantment, which is what we learn from uh Nolte's character Kewel. I, sure. I think would yep. we we don't actually hear his name in the episode. That's just what he's credited Farmer as. Farmer Ugnot. Farmer I have spoken is yes. what I want to call yeah. it. So we hear that that the people that are in the Enchantment, they are there without permission basically and they're bringing in trouble because so many people have tried to collect this bounty and failed. So it's pretty well protected. So that gives me some insight about this little green baby, Mm -hmm. because the fact that they're going all out here. So first off, of course, if you're listening this far, you have seen the episode or you're just taking your chance on spoilers. But we get a little baby Yoda here. Mm -hmm. So, okay, what do you think's going on with this? Well, obviously, Yoda and Yaddle, 50 years Mm -hmm. prior, uh, you know, they were Netflixing and chilling and. (laughs) <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> is there any other takeaway there's only two characters in the whole star wars universe that we're aware of that could create a yodeling so i'm 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 gonna speculate i'm gonna say yeah this is the long lost child of yoda and yaddle that's that's my hot take that that is a hot take <laughs> so so master yoda himself got a little freaky is what is what you're saying here sure if if that's how you know yoda types uh, make babies, you know, we, the, the thing, uh, we don't know how the done. thing about Yoda and Yaddle, I guess, is we don't know much about their culture, their society. Mm-hmm. They're not a prominent species in, in the galaxy. They're a bit of a, an enigma, a mystery. And all that we really know about them is that they're terribly force sensitive and they can live a long time. So, yeah. you know, they're just wise old sages. That's, that's all we've ever really, uh, gotten acquainted, you know, with that particular species. Uh, it would explain why this Imperial remnant, you know, these, these bitter clingers, these, these, you know, go down with the ship imperialists that won't accept that the empire has died. Uh, why they would be so concerned with a possible force sensitive youngling, uh, right. somewhere in the galaxy that they've got a beat on. And also, you know, maybe why the, I'm assuming the scientist, the doctor, you know, the, the guy with Werner Herzog, um, you know, maybe they want to experiment on it you know maybe they want to see if there's a way to harness that to revitalize the empire you know the em- the emperor himself was a force user maybe if they can find another force user that will give them the upper hand to be able to reclaim the galaxy like who knows what's going on but obviously if you if you want a macguffin that really represents the full potential of the force like you know this is the thing that could turn the tide for this imperial remnant yeah. You'd you'd pick Yoda's species, right? Like they're yeah. Master Yoda. Obi-Wan said it. He had the highest midichlorian count aside from Anakin. So <laughs> there you go. If if someone's trying to really, you know, get some uh potent, you know, midichlorian goo to fuel whatever their nefarious plans are, baby Yodel. <laughs> baby Yodel? Baby Yodel. We don't know we don't know what we're calling him. Yodel. Uh yeah, Yodeling, whatever he is. Uh I could see him being a very valuable commodity. I definitely like the name Baby Yodel, especially sure. if it's revealed that he is the 
you know, he's the result of a little Yoda Yaddle freaky time. It, it, would, it would fit. I'd go with that. So it, here's here's one thing that, that piqued my interest because yeah. I went there too. I'm like, okay, well, we've only seen two of this species in <laughs> right. canon. There's no way that Filoni's taking us down a rabbit hole with it all and like basically like, oh, it's going to, although it could be, it could, it no, could no, just be a they're, massive They're totally trolling us, right? Like, because that's such an obvious thing for people to immediately think. They're not going to do it, right? The show is going to be smarter than that. The this, yeah, they're not going with the obvious answer to this riddle that they've set up in the the first episode. But you know, if we're in clearly in speculation mode right now, I think that that's you know a fun little <laughs> fun little scenario to try and sort out. You know, obviously this kid's got parents who was around fifty years ago that may have been able to uh, affect that situation. Uh, there's my theory. Um, <laughs> but what else you got on this before we uh, get into the meat of the episode here? So it, one of the things that, that was pointed out to me on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but someone tweeted like, hey, did anyone else see that emblem on Dr. Perishing's shoulder? Yes. And so I went in and I was like, huh? And so I started looking into it and that, that led me down the rabbit hole of, of uh, really skimming through Attack of the Clones. And I found a very similar symbol that uh, Clone Fett wears when they're on the the right. kind of like call center the training center all those little clones in there yeah their they jumpsuits have, have it on the arm yeah the yeah. jumpsuits have it on the arm so another speculation that that is maybe worth discussing and like you said probably not going that route but you never know is one are they trying to harness this so have they found that this is a force sensitive mm-hmm. being and we don't know anything about the species this species could very well just naturally have more midichlorians. We've been introduced to that idea that some species have more midichlorians yeah. than others. And there's and an so aspect be, to your bloodline, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, he could be a particularly forcey baby, uh, again, because of his heritage. And so maybe they're trying to mix some of that with maybe something else. Maybe they're making some hybrid that deals with Sidious or with someone else later mm-hmm. on down the road. Um, or they're, it's a clone of Yoda, which is, you know, you never know. I don't think it's going that route. I think it's going to be something that is going to be a little more impactful than simply that. And something that has great potential of following us through December and even into the rise of Skywalker. Oh, okay. Now, now we're into super speculation mode. You think that this might be some sort of a tie in to how the emperor comes back and rise of Skywalker? Uh, that's that's one of my one of my areas of thinking is that this is potentially that so maybe at this point because we don't know exactly when uh or exactly how long ago the empire has died in the mandalorian at this point i don't think that's been we do know the date of that five years five years okay since uh you know uh the battle of endor basically all right so within that five years who knows what the empire if they're sh- if they're really still active like why are they still active what after 5 years what's going on mm-hmm. and so maybe they found something and they are trying to track down force sensitive beings in general to draw that energy into something else and so i think that that is what <laughs> we're possibly going to see here happen well with all the the potential craziness that could unfurl in the rise of Skywalker, you can't write it off, right? Because they've they've had to come up with something crazy and totally foreign and new to Star Wars thinking to explain the Emperor coming back. Because you know we've had some legend stuff about the Emperor and clones and that kind of stuff, but we haven't had anything really within the the live action universe to explain 
how they're going to pull that off. So they're either going to leave it ambiguous or yeah, there's, there's going to be something to help illuminate what's going on there. Hey, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I think it's all on the table, especially because yeah, if, if uh, Dr. What's his face has the Kaminoan symbol on his jumpsuit, then, you know, maybe they're all part of the same, you know, Star Wars mm-hmm. InGen, you know, the same um, company that does cloning technology, you know, maybe also does whatever they're hoping to do with, mm-hmm. you know, midichlorians. We don't know, but there, there's some entity that is somehow connected to what was happening on Camino, and now, you know, what this doctor wants to do with this kid. Um, they're setting something up and... Mm-hmm. That's what you want from a premiere, right? They set right. the table. They left you with a cliffhanger. They totally got me invested in wanting to know what they're doing with the story. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the, the show's finale is right after the rise of Skywalker. So who knows, right. you know, it, it, it could dovetail very nicely into what we're going to see in December. Yeah. And, and I think that, that whatever it is, if it is going to tie in, we're going to get that uh, before the season finale, obviously. So it makes sense for mm-hmm. the rise of Skywalker, people that are paying attention, but yeah, I I don't necessarily think that baby Yaddle or Yodel, that's <laughs> Yodel, what we're calling yes. him. I don't I don't think Yodel's gonna show up in Rise of Skywalker per se, but I think the theme of it. So I think we're gonna be introduced to the Empire doing some sneaky work in this and that mm-hmm. Mando's gonna uncover that. And then the result or the process of that sneaky work is going to be revisited in Rise of Skywalker to tie a nice little bow on it. But yeah, I don't think that we're gonna see necessarily uh, any characters overflow, but that's also possible. Now, just to shoot a big hole in, in your theory here, let's go back and find out when Favreau started working on his stories for the Mandalorian. Cause it was a few years back at least, yep. you know, like he was, he had almost the whole thing broken and he was mapping out the first four episodes or something. Mm-hmm. I want to say almost three years ago, I think is when we started to get rumblings that Favreau was working on something. Now let's, Compare that with when Abrams was brought back into the Star Wars project. Right. And so, and so I see your point, but what I'm <laughs> thinking is that I don't think Lucasfilm has journeyed far off of Abrams's vision for the, the final three movies here. Oh, so you think that maybe this was a storyline that Abrams was hoping to establish in Force Awakens. They let Favreau take it and run with this particular aspect of it. And now because Abrams has come back to finish the trilogy, mm-hmm. it's all going to you know, play together nicely. Well, I, I think that, that Abrams, of course, worked very closely with Lucasfilm and people like, you know, getting a lot of information from Lucas himself to the to the point where the major themes of this new trilogy were established and were pursued with these different directors. Mm. I feel like that that before Abrams parted, this was going to be the established theme throughout. Mm, um, see, I, I so. got to I got to take exception to that because Abrams himself as you know, much as he likes to misdirect people, Mm -hmm. he's made it pretty clear that he thought that his job on the force awakens was basically a one and done. Yeah. He had some ideas about where things could go, but his job was to set up a bunch of mysteries and then let someone else take the ball and run with it. And even though he had some ideas about what the answers would be, uh, he, those weren't like a hundred percent locked down or even really communicated to Ryan Johnson. So yeah. the idea that, you know, even because there's some polite dinner conversations with George Lucas to kind of, you know, get his blessing and a little bit of good PR for their projects. I don't know if that really qualifies as some sort of grand vision for the trilogy. 
I think the biggest problem with the current trilogy is that they didn't really have those Mm -hmm. discussions and they didn't lay the foundation properly from the get-go to have a really cohesive trilogy. And that's why I wonder if Favreau started working on this before Abrams came back, how would Favreau even get a heads up that you need to make this dovetail because we're going to release this in tandem with the rise of Skywalker and this is going to illuminate a major plot point, you know, like that hadn't even started stewing yet. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't, I don't think everyone's been on the same page at Lucasfilm enough for them to pull this off. If this truly is sort of the preamble to the rise of Skywalker, um, I think it would be cool and I would love for them to prove me wrong and, and just really wow us and say, Oh wow, that's smart. You know, like the rise of Skywalker is so much richer now that we got this little bit of backstory from the Mandalorian. I would love it all to, mm-hmm. you know, be satisfying like that. I just don't know if I'm a hundred percent confident that anyone was thinking that long term at Lucasfilm back when these projects started. That is very possible. And <laughs> and that's the fun of speculation. <laughs> <laughs> we will have to wait and see on that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that that a little bit was established. And maybe it just came from uh, maybe this is something completely new that that Favreau had come up with with talking with George sure. Lucas or talking with these other people, like, okay what would the empire be doing in this time period? And then maybe Lucas was like, well, they would be trying to, you know, get gather force energy to bring back the rise of the empire. Sure. So, yeah, I who mean, knows? it could, it could have been that simple and yeah, put a little, uh, just a little kernel in Favreau's thinking and he took it and run with it. Uh, one way or another, by the end of December, all will be revealed and we'll have to regroup on this cast, maybe pull in a few of your buddies to do a, you know, a high level assessment of where we're at with, with star Wars and see if any of this has any merit or if they had something completely different in mind. Yeah. And it could be that Yodel dies in the first scene of the next episode. <laughs> we don't true. actually know. Yeah. IG 11 uh, repairs himself, comes back, finishes the job end of series. Yeah, it's not. It's going to be something interesting. I mean, we have Favreau working on this, Filoni working on it. It's we have an amazing team working on this. So, I think these guys like their stingers. Mm-hmm. I think they like their twists, their turns. I think they like driving fans crazy in mm-hmm. the sense of, oh, you thought it was going to be this, but it's really this. Sure. Yeah. No, there's definitely a little bit of trolling. You can't give us, you know, five frames of, of baby Yoda and not expect the internet to, you know, <laughs> burn itself to the ground with speculation. Uh, that's definitely what they're going for. Cause it's good buzz. The nice thing is they're only making us wait, what, three days yes. to get episode number two uh, or chapter two, I guess we should call mm-hmm. it. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to just keep riding this, <laughs> riding this train and see where we're going. Well, the Mandalorian chapter one was epic. There's, I mean, it, this has so much potential that I'm excited mm-hmm. for. Um, this was definitely the number one question that I have encountered is what's going on with the baby. Right. Of course. What's happening. So we'll just have to see. We're dubbing him, uh, Yodel. we're dubbing him Yodel. Yeah. Yodel the Yodeling. So Yodel the Yodeling. And that's what we're going with. So I'm going to make a hashtag of that (laughs) hashtag yodel. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get that moving. Um, so are we not even going to talk about, you know, the big showdown at the okay corral here or like the, the, the laser cannon or IG 11 constantly trying to commit suicide? Like, yeah, (laughs) we're just going to gloss over that whole set piece of the episode here. So yeah, so we have the enchantment, right? So the this place where the the little little Yodel was hiding, we have the enchantment, and a, they are well fortified. They are. That's the Alamo. This is this is yeah, uh, a serious fortress that they're going up against. So what's going on? Why was a why was a second bounty hunter sent here? 
Well, we know that the Mandalorian was commissioned through unofficial channels, right? This is not an official job. You don't get the official tag and you know, the official sanctioning, you don't go into it with any legitimacy. And we know that it was Imperial diehards that are after this baby. So I think that the Mandalorian isn't truly a bounty hunter in this scenario. I think he's a mercenary and he doesn't even really grasp, you know, that he's way off the reservation and that there may be another faction in the galaxy that also has an interest in this kid that's going through official channels. And that's how IG 11 gets hired. So, you know, the good guys may be looking for this baby. The bad guys may be looking for this baby and the Mandalorian may have just shot the droid in the head that was working for the good guys. As far as we know. Yeah. 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 I mean, you never know here, but we have uh, IG uh, trying to commit suicide every time, which <laughs> yes. kind of brings some light hardness here. This I will now commit self-destruction. Oh, and- perfect comedy. You know, for Star Wars, sometimes we get some misfires, right? Like that was one of the big mm-hmm. criticisms with The Last Jedi was the the tone of the jokes just didn't feel Star Warsy. I felt like this was perfectly Star Warsy. It was it was immediate, absolutely perfect. And we the perfect person was voicing it. Mm-hmm. So Taiko Atiti, this guy just, he comes in and it, like, he's definitely the droid, right? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if, if my, if my credits were right, but as soon as he comes in, I'm like, oh, he's getting introduced really fast here, which makes me also think that we haven't seen the last of this, this oh, no, droid no, no. voice. No, we've seen other footage in the trailers of, mm, of IG-88. Him. So we know, or IG-11. So <laughs> we know he's coming back and obviously they, I don't think they get a big name uh, voice behind him if he was a one-off here. Uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot more in store with that droid, we have to presume, and uh, I don't know if they're going to be friends or foes when they meet again. And and this whole scene was just, it was a total Western uh, classic oh, yeah, yeah. shootout, people on the roofs, people coming out, yep. and then the big gun, okay, how do we defeat the big gun? <laughs> right. And it was it was truly epic, truly amazing, something that you, you're not used to seeing on television unless you're up to date on things like Game of Thrones. You're not used to seeing really these epic yes. type of battles go down on television. This was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even by Star Wars feature film standards, at least like classic trilogy standards, mm-hmm. this could go toe to toe with what they were doing back in the day. Obviously, they've made the movies a lot more epic in in scope and scale uh, more recently, but this felt very satisfying. It didn't feel cheap. It didn't feel like a cardboard set, you know, it, it didn't feel too easy, you know, like sometimes you feel like they don't really think through their set piece. And so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like a mundane walk through the fight. This felt like it was staged appropriately. You had a good sense of space, like, you know, where everybody's at in the, the scene, where they get pinned down, why they had to be pinned down in that spot. Like in comparison to where the door is and to where the turret is and to where, you know, the, the surrounding, uh, you know, buildings are, you, there, the the way that they framed, blocked, and shot this scene was very, very competent. And I loved that it didn't feel like a cheat. Like it's all right. close-ups. Like it's all just, we're going to use a lot of motion to confuse you so that you can't think too hard about what's really going on. There's nothing Transformers <laughs> about the way that they, they did the set piece. Uh, so sometimes smaller scale and just a lot of human drama in a set piece is way more satisfying. There's, there's yeah. something to be said about why Westerns are such a, a great watch. You, you just, you, you can follow them and really get more engrossed in the action because it's human scale. And, uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And the good guys in the Westerns are ones that 
that are protecting someone else. They, typically, there's some conflict at the beginning, sure. and then the good guy is like, you know, protecting this child, yeah. and a lot of times it's portrayed as a child, um, and comes into conflict with the big guns. And in this case, the Empire now has the Mandalorian marked. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to cause issues with with his relationship with Carl Weathers, I'm assuming, and it's going to bring in some of the characters that we've been teased uh, from back at D23 and all these type right. of expos that have been going on since the uh, the release of the, of the filming and since we've seen what characters are actually going to come into play. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, so the Mandalorian, he's going to find out something soon, I'm assuming, about this, about Yodel. Mm-hmm. And it's going to cause him to want to protect Yodel. That's what we're assuming, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, what... <laughs> what the Empire desperately wants this. Uh, again, a, a lot of ass- assumptions, right? They've set the table. So all of those are absolutely possibilities. The other possibility is, you know, he he brings it in, drops it sure. off to, to Werner Herzog, and, uh, you know, maybe he has a crisis of conscience after the fact, and, you know, they got to try and rescue the the thing. We honestly don't know. What we yeah. know is that this is not a straightforward job, and it's going to have a lot of unintended complications for the Mando. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing is that, like you said, it could just be he turns it in because didn't they say they wanted it alive? Ideally, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they said, you know what? Push comes to shove. Things happen. Just make sure that you deal with it. <laughs> There's no situation where they don't want it, dead or alive. Right. Right. All right. So <laughs> uh, full of speculations, but just everything else about this show, it was fun to look at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean. We got some ice planets. We got some desert planets, which are typical Star Wars, sure. but they were unique. Yep. And what do you think of his ship, the Mandalorian ship? The Razor Crest? Yeah. Uh, I like it. I, I think that if you're going to follow up the Slave One as like, you know, a badass ship for a badass dude, you really got to, you really got to nail it, right? Star Wars has had a lot of iconic ships. So... Yeah, if you're going to go toe-to-toe with the Millennium Falcon or you're going to go toe-to-toe with Slave One, you really got to have some kind of a look that is memorable, that just seems like, you know what, I want to go buy that toy and have my own little sandbox adventures with it because that is that is cool. <laughs> and you know what, I, I think that this one ticks all the boxes. So I like the ship. I like the fact that, you know, a killer walrus can gnaw on the landing gear and that doesn't seem to phase it. Um, you know, like this is a sturdy bucket that this guy has that just gets the job done. You don't get the sense that it's kind of like the Falcon where it's always, um, breaking down at inopportune times. Like this just feels like an efficient ship for an efficient bounty hunter. Yeah. And then the, I like his little compartment of all the, uh, the carbon freeze, uh, bounties he's got down below. Yeah. Now, you know what? <laughs> there was, there was a little part of me that was cringing a little bit at that. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of it sort of, but I kind of don't because I feel like it, it breaks the universe a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. when we saw Han get put in the, the carbon freezing chamber, they needed a whole facility on cloud city, like a whole lot right. more tech to support carbon freezing than you could fit in a little ship like the razor crest. Right. And you also got the sense in empire that this was them kind of, uh, making it up as they go. Like this was them improvising, uh, a way to capture Han using whatever facility was available on, on cloud city. Right. You didn't get the sense that this is just how bounty hunting gets done that, you know, everyone brings in their, their quarry on a, a slab of carbonite. So the fact that 
they took what was a, a cool one-off situation in empire. And they, they've kind of established that as standard operating procedure for bounty hunters. It kind of makes me feel like they were a little more concerned with the callback of something right. star Warsy than the internal logic of the universe. And I, I tend to like it when they walk that line a little bit better without, at least in my case, pulling me out of the moment a little bit, because I'm going, wait a minute, that's not mm-hmm. really what would happen. But again, this is star Wars. You can't be too finicky. There's a lot of things that break down if you really want to look at them logically, but I got to admit on first viewing that one kind of rubbed me the wrong way, just a little bit as cool as it was. Uh, it just, yeah, it didn't really make sense to me. So I'm in the same boat as you as with that, that it rubbed me the wrong way because whenever we get introduced to carbon freeze, when it's even mentioned, Lando goes, what? That's going to kill him. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even know if he'll survive the, the freezing process. So again, this was not something you, you don't put, you know, biological matter in carbonite. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, that's not what the facility was supposed to be for. So yeah, it's, it, it, it really does break a little bit of, of Star Wars, I don't know, logic or reality mm-hmm. a bit. Well, even Boba Fett was mad about the idea. He's no good to me dead. Yeah, he's yeah. no good to me dead. And so, it's, you know, whatever. Maybe Boba Fett, here's a theory. Maybe within this time period, the short time that Boba Fett had left, he's noticed that this was a very effective way of <laughs> right. transporting bounties. Word and that got you out. could actually live. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, you know what? We need to mass produce this thing. Yeah. And he went back to his guild and was like, okay, carbon freeze. This is the future of bounty hunting. This is how we're going to transport our goods. That probably didn't happen. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because that's the headcanon that I had to make up on the fly to yeah. justify the situation and get back into the episode. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to be writing backstory while I'm watching the show. So I kind of wish maybe, you know, less, less is more a little bit sometimes. Um, but that was exactly the conclusion I came to. Oh, you know what? It works so well for Boba Fett. You're sitting around the bar talking about how, you know, awesome you are. You know, I'm the guy that delivered Honda to Jabba and now he's sitting on the wall. Like, you know, that's, that's just the most badass thing. Mm. And all of a sudden everyone's having these things installed in their ships. Okay. You know, so be it still doesn't feel like, you know, that's, that's the convoluted scenario that I wanted to be dwelling on when I'm trying to enjoy this, this simple, straightforward introductory, you know, Western adventure. Well, is there anything else that caught your attention about this chapter one of the Mandalorian? Now, you know, there's that fan service that as cool as it was, was a little jarring. There's also, you know, poor little salacious crumb sitting in a box watching his, I'm going to assume wife, uh, getting spit roasted in front of him. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I was feeling for little salacious crumb there that, oh my goodness, this, you know, there's, there's not uh, enough of them in the galaxy. Uh, you know, he, he found the love of his life and they get captured and, you know, the, the torment of having to, you know, watch her get, uh, roasted up and you knowing that he's next like that was a dark little gag right there in the middle <laughs> and, and as much as we're not supposed to like whatever species salacious crumb is i was feeling for that little rat <laughs> yeah well so i wasn't really feeling for him i i kind of looked at it as like oh yeah these uh this underworld it's a real it's a real dark place yeah uh, I was just amazed that in, in my mind, I had this whole backstory of mm-hmm. these two little, you know, rats and you know, how, how tortured it must've been to sit there and have to endure that. And then knowing that he's next because they're sentient, right? Like in Jabba's mm-hmm. palace, you don't get the impression that this is a pet, you know, oh, no, no, he's laughing at jokes and he's mm-hmm. like conniving and, and like picking on three PO and because they show that, uh, there's some amount of intelligence to it. That's what makes this such a dark little joke. And I loved it. But mm-hmm. yeah, 
a little dark, <laughs> a little dark, darker than Chewie eating a porg, you know, with yeah. the other porgs watching that very similar, but I was feeling more for, you know, this little salacious crumb than, uh, than the poor little porg. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was feeling that much for it. I think I felt a little more sad with the porg just cause it's like, Chewie, you just killed this, this peaceful little creature. Now his siblings and loved ones are crying, watching it get roasted and you about to eat it. Like, I know it's fun. It's just, it's a dark joke and it, it was just a fun, dark joke. I really, really en- enjoyed that little bit of fan service. Uh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes the fan service landed, sometimes it, it had me scratching my head a bit, but, uh, yeah, that was surprisingly affecting at least, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. And I also liked the, we got another kind of Nazi theme here, the empire branding their money. Right. Yeah. The, the metal that he wanted that he's making his armor out of mm-hmm. well, had the nice little empire symbol just stamped right on it like the Nazis do with their gold. So for me, just as someone who looks at history and look at, looks at the themes and likes to go back to what Lucas was inspired by when he sure. wrote the originals, that was a nice little like yep. callback for me. Yeah, no, that, that feels very true to what you would expect. If, if the empire confiscated the wealth of these worlds that they were subduing and we know that there was you know, conflict, uh, obviously, you know, with the Mandalorians at at some point in recent history and, uh, you know, there was some sort of diaspora where, you know, they, they all kind of had to, I'm assuming leave their home world or in some way, you know, the Mandalorian culture was, was really hit hard. And I I think that had to do with maybe their, their uprising against the empire at one point. Right. Because we see a little Mm -hmm. bit of that in the cartoons. Right. So we know that there's history there and we know that they didn't come out on top. So it makes perfect sense that yes, the, the wealth of Mandalore would now be the empires. So yeah, if you can scrape a little bit of it back, uh, to help build your heritage, uh, makes total sense. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I caught from the episode as far as callbacks and, uh, just the look of everything. It it sets the tone for the show. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. And I am super excited to see everything else play out in this theme that we're getting because I think the client's coming back. Sure. Um, I think Dr. Pershing's coming back. I think, I think Yodel's coming back. I think (laughs) we're getting, I think we're getting all the stuff that we've been introduced to back. And I think it's going to go even deeper. And I don't think this is the only stinger that we're going to, uh, receive in this, in this show. Yes, indeed. This was a ridiculously satisfying premiere. Uh, not perfect. I mean, we don't need to go off on, you know, little, uh, maybe production niggles and, you know, some framing or directorial choices, you know, wasn't flawless, but this so set the table in a satisfying way that, uh, you know, whatever very, very minor faults you, you may have with the episode, this has me so optimistic for what we're going to see for the rest of the series. And fortunately, uh, you know, we're going to get another hit this week and we'll be back on Sunday to break it all down. So join us please on Sunday when we break down chapter two of the Mandalorian. But other than that, John, where can the people find you? Uh, as always, they can check out my other podcast, SNL after party. They can go to snlpodcast.com to subscribe or find our latest episode. Uh, let's see, we've got Harry Styles hosting and musical guesting this week. So we're going to have coverage of that out early next week. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the latest, uh, with the SNL cast. I hope people check it out. And people can find the show at our new website that is up and running. Yay! StarWarsTVTalk.com. That you, you can find all of our shows there, all of our Star Wars shows. Uh, we got some Resistance going on. Uh, we got some Mandalorian now going on. So you can find all those shows that you are interested in that are Star Wars television projects right at StarWarsTVTalk.com. And one other thing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we should let people know that not only can they subscribe to our main feed that has every episode that we put out, we have a separate feed that they can now find in iTunes or they can subscribe right through our website. That is only Mandalorian content. So if they're just feeling Mando, they don't want Clone Wars. They don't want resistance. They don't want anything other than our coverage for Mandalorian. They can have a feed that just consolidates just those episodes that they can subscribe to and get just like any other podcast. They can find the feed at our website, or like I said, uh, iTunes or all the other reputable podcasting places should have it. If not by now, very shortly. Yep. And you can find that at the Mandalorian dash star Wars TV talk in iTunes. You will see the nice little Mandalorian logo with ours to let you know that that's the podcast you're looking for. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then of course, we'll always have our super feed going on and you can email us at Zach at star Wars, TV And you can leave us a review on iTunes. Please, please leave us a review on iTunes. That lets us know what we're doing. Great. What we're doing. Not so great, but please accompany that with a nice little five star <laughs> review. Yes. Say whatever you want. Just leave five stars. That's exactly right. Freedom of speech, but five stars. <laughs> yes. Well, other than that, I hope that you join us next time and may the force be with you always.